Petersfield's Shine Radio. Shine Radio's Growing Together with Claire Venice and Steve Amos is sponsored by DeMello and Company. Financial advice for you, your family and your future. Hello and thanks for joining us in Growing Together, the gardening podcast from Petersfield Shine Radio. I'm Claire Venice and I'm once again at the Adhurst Estate Allotment on a slightly windy day with Allotment Chairman Steve Amos. Good afternoon. Hello Steve. Afternoon. It is. It is. It's not quite dark. We say it's windy. That wind has dropped right down, hasn't it? I'm hoping so. <laughs> I'm no, not going to get no, blown away. No, it really has. Again, we've had so much rain, haven't we? Walking up to your plot. <laughs> I love the journey walking up to your plot because you are further down the allotment. So I have to walk through many plots and there's always something amazing going on each plot. It's different every time I come, obviously. But, oh my goodness, was it squashy. It is really wet, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. We've got Luna here today at the moment, which is great. So I've now got mud all over me. She is filthy yeah she is <laughs> she's having the luxurious shower when she gets home which is the hose pipe in the back garden i think my boots and your wellies might be having the same treatment. i think they will definitely definitely <laughs> do you have have you had problems down here the allotment with flooding no we don't have problems with flooding but there is a lot of clay up here so it does hold on to the water it is squilchy isn't it Squilchy's a good <laughs> word joining us in this episode we have got the lovely tony kirkham who was the head of the arboretum at kew gardens until a couple of years ago and also the third instalment of Ben Pope's Working Garden Diary. It's been so, so wet, hasn't it? It has, not it? And I think we've got more coming. We've had a bit of a frost, so the dailies are definitely done for now. They're looking really sad. I know. I started cutting them right back, digging them up, washing them off, drying them out. They're all labelled up nicely this year, so no surprises for next year. Just one bed to do and... Got three or four rogue plants there as well. So you're digging them all up? Yeah, I'm starting from scratch this year, so everything's coming up. And next year, all down the right-hand side of the allotment is going to be flowers, and all down the left-hand side is going to be the veg. Nicely organised, Yes, yes, I've just got to do it (laughs) this year. I was going to organise a little bit more last year, wasn't I? But never got round to it. This year, we're on it. It's happening. Yep, definitely. When you lift up the dahlia tubers yeah you obviously shake them out and try and get as much soil off the tubers as possible that's right yeah then what do you do you cut the stem off so i cut the stem off first they're growing through the the mesh so i cut the stems off first then pull them shake them off and then i I just put them in the like a bread tray take them into a frost-free place let them dry off a bit more and then you can get more soil off what i used to do was use a pressure washer but they get really really wet and then they're really difficult to dry and they can incur a bit of rot. But give them a wash, give them a dunk, let them dry off and then take the worst of the mud off and they seem to do all right. The key there, obviously, is to get them dry. Yes, absolutely. And keep them frost-free. So many people lost tubers last year, both in the ground and in sheds and in greenhouses and stuff like that because we had that really cold spell, didn't we? Where it was like minus 10, minus 12 every day for a week. I think that did for so many days last year such a shame do you wrap do you wrap yours in straw or newspaper i don't wrap mine or cover them in anything i used to i used to put them in spent compost very dry spent compost i don't even do that anymore i find no moisture can attach to them when they're in the air but you must keep them frost free my old man he um he wraps his in straw but he's got access to straw he lives on a farm well that's the thing that used to scare me about growing dahlias is the care that it takes and i was a little bit daunted by all the different steps but actually it's not that many it's not that many and it does take some time if you're growing half a dozen it doesn't take any time at all if you're growing nearly 200 like we have done this year it takes a long time but 
for me it's worth the effort because in the springtime when you start re-propagating for the shows you get a better bloom from a cutting than you do from a tuber and I grow for the shows you know I love them in the house as well and they've been amazing this year so when do you take the cuttings depends whether you've got access to a heat bench if you've got access to a heat bench you can start mid-feb early march if you haven't April, May. They do take really quickly. Springtime. Yeah. Don't worry about that yet. Oh my goodness, no. Okay. (laughs) We'll talk to you about that in the spring then. Exactly. Well, talking of Q, I was very lucky to be invited to a special evening celebrating a book about trees called The Queen's Green Canopy. It's a beautiful photography book highlighting 70 ancient trees and 70 ancient woodlands in the UK. Sounds like an amazing night out. I was very lucky. It was a lovely evening. And there was Tony Kirkham and also Geraint Richards, who we've spoken to before in Growing Together at the Chelsea Flower Show this year. He is head forester of the Dutchy Estate. Super. Two very knowledgeable yeah, men. Yeah, if, if they can't answer a question about a tree, then we're, we're done for, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, we really? are really. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and the two photographers of the book were also there, Adrian Houston and Charles Sainsbury Place, who had fantastic stories about their journeys around the UK to take photographs of the different trees. Beautiful, beautiful book. Nash? quite a nice one for a Christmas present. Yeah, yeah. We've got someone who likes their trees. And also I went to Sculpture by the Lakes in Dorset to meet Tony Kirkham. And that's a beautiful place in Dorset if you fancy immersing yourself in beautiful nature with water and sculptures as well. Sounds amazing. Recommend that. I went to a garden centre this weekend. Did you, Steve? I did. What did you do there? My girlfriend and I were there. But she wanted a, uh, an indoor plant. Now I don't know much about, much anything about indoor plants. So we did a bit of research before we went. She plumbed for a peace lily, which she's put on the window ledge of the bathroom. Gets a lot of sun, so it looks really nice. But it was a bit of a discovery trip, looking at all these indoor plants, which of course I know nothing about. We've got a load of cacti and succulents all around the windowsill in, in the conservatory. But apart from that, haven't really got any I think I might grow enough things without starting to worry about indoor plants. It's something to think about this time of year if you still want to have some plants to look at. Reading about them, they do a lot of good inside. They oxygenate, they take impurities out of the air, they can absorb steam and moisture, so reduce mildew and stuff like that. Got to watch out for, you can get little bugs, little flying bugs around indoor plants and the way to combat that is not to water them too much and to put some grit over the top. Quick reminder, it's the Petersfield Tree Festival coming up on the 25th of November at the Community Garden. It's going to be from 10am until 3.30pm. We're going to be there, Steve. We are. So do come along, say hi. There'll be loads of experts on hand to talk about trees. You can order bare root trees if you're interested at the festival. So come on and say hello. Let's hear from Tony Kirkham. He was head of the Arboretum at Kew and I caught up with him to find out what he's doing now. Tony Kirkham is the man to talk to if you want to find out more about trees. And he's joining me now. We're at Sculpture by the Lake in Dorset. Hello, Tony. Hi there, Claire. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Well, it was wonderful to hear your talk. You've just given a talk here. In fact, you're here all day. You're going to be doing some tree planting later on this afternoon. That's right. It's uh, an event here called Arbor. It's a lovely garden surrounded by lakes and obviously sculptures because uh, Simon, the husband of Monique, who runs the garden, 
garden is a, an artist uh, sculpture. So um, I did a talk this morning on remarkable trees that I've met around the world. And, uh, and then this afternoon we're doing, uh, with Barcham's Trees, a masterclass in tree planting. Now, you have had the most amazing career with over 40 years at Kew Gardens. How did you start your career in trees? Well, yeah, I did 43 years at Kew, but I I was really lucky because when I was at school, I met the horse chestnut tree. I played conkers and I I couldn't wait for autumn to come round where I could collect a conker. And I still pick them up today and, you know, I think that will make a a good 50-er or something like that. But I had a very good teacher who saw that I was interested in nature and and in particular the horse chestnut tree. And she helped me by showing me different trees and how they grow, uh, how they flower. And it was an inspiration to me. So I went into the forestry industry as an apprentice because I wasn't clever at school and couldn't wait to leave school. And it wasn't until I started that apprenticeship that I realized actually there's a lot to learn. And I think when you're learning about something that is interesting, you want to learn more and you just get hungry for it. And so I've been very lucky. And one of my ambition when I was young was to be the curator of Kew. I never made that position, but I I was a curator of the tree collections at Kew. And uh, I retired two years ago uh, after the best career that anyone could ever want. You've created an amazing area there in Kew. How many trees have you planted in your time there, do you think? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, I, we, on average, we were planting between 150 to 200 trees, sometimes 250 trees a year. So I've, I've planted several thousand. And if you think that the collection at Kew is about 14,000 trees, basically starting from the hurricane in 1987, where we lost 15 million trees across the south of England, and at Kew we lost about 700. So my job was to replenish that collection, not like for like, but to represent diversity of tree species that that will grow outside. So I traveled all around uh, the Far East, in China, Japan, Taiwan, Korea, Russian Far East, collecting seeds to grow into trees uh, to replenish the collection. So I walk around Kew now, and some of the trees that I planted in uh, in the 1980s are already creating shade and making find specimens that I hope will be a legacy for the future generations to enjoy. I was going to say, how lovely to have that as something that you have done and for everyone to enjoy. You mentioned you've travelled extensively in your career. Did you expect that was going to be a part of your career? I didn't. You know, I I wanted to be a a forester and then switched to arboriculture. So I I was an arborist for several years and most of my training is in arboriculture, which is the management of trees in parks, gardens and for non-profit, if you like, not commercial. No, never did I expect to to travel, but after the 87 storm, that was the catalyst for my expedition work. I was young, I was in my 30s, I was fit, I enjoyed travel, I wanted to travel, and it just came at a perfect time. And I would recommend to anyone, wherever you are in the world, just go and see trees growing in the natural habitat, in in a forest, a woodland, where they come from, and you can learn so much and it's inspiring, it's good for your well-being. It's just a really nice a nice feeling, and you'll live longer. Well, this is a lovely time of year to see trees. I mean, it's raining now, unfortunately. We are, <laughs> we are sheltering outside, yeah. but it is a gorgeous time of year. Everything's a little bit later this year, though. How has the climate affected trees in, in our country? You're absolutely right, Claire. I mean, this is my favourite time of the year apart from days like today although this is atmospheric isn't it yes. you know we could be in the in a rainforest somewhere you know, the colors are just starting it and here we are we're in november and normally we'd expect trees to be deciduous now and, and no leaves they'd be 
shutting down ready for sleep. So, you know, climate is affecting our seasons now. And what I found is that when I was young, we had four seasons, four clear seasons that we could almost say to the, to the day, now it's autumn, now it's winter, spring, summer. They all seem to be merging into one another now. So autumn is definitely going to merge into winter. And I don't think winter's going to start till uh, maybe mid to the end of December and then January will be winter. And trees need a rest. Temperate trees need to sleep. And that period of sleep is getting shorter and shorter. And like you and I, we need our sleep. And especially as you get older, you need your sleep. So... Unfortunately, trees, are, their sleep patterns getting shorter and they're having to grow for longer and they're stressed. You know, they stress like you and I and our job is to, uh, to de-stress them. In actual fact, this weather now that we're experiencing is good, it's fantastic and will de-stress trees. It's still being dry and, and we need this winter rain. So, yes, climate change is happening and it is affecting the growth patterns of trees. So everything that we do now, we, we have to be more flexible and we, we have to be observant and carry out horticultural and arboricultural operations when it, the, the conditions are right, rather than just saying, yeah, on such a day, we will do this. We have to be more observant and watch the weather and watch how things grow. Adapt to the situation, I suppose. Exactly. And the same with tree planting and tree selection. You know, we, we're going to have to start thinking out the box. We can, we can plant a lot more species now than we ever used to be able to. We have the threats of pests and diseases now that are coming in from overseas. And that threat gets ever larger and larger. And we need to build a diverse, a resilient landscape. And the way to do that is by planting a diverse array of trees. And we need to be thinking outside of the box. We need to be brave and mixing natives with non-natives to build in that resilience. Now, are you still, you said you retired now from Kew. Are you still out there championing trees? I am. I think I don't think I'll ever retire. I mean, I'm helping people by doing talks, raising awareness of trees, helping people by doing talks on how to grow trees, how to manage them, tree selection, etc. And then I've got friends who I'm uh, helping with tree selection and uh, and buying trees, and we're doing a lot of tree planting. So I think I'm busier now and and striking that balance of mixing pleasure with well, you know, actually growing trees is pleasurable. So. It's not a thing of, of mixing pleasure with work. What I do is, is pleasurable and enjoyable. And you can tell that. Last, last question I have to ask you. What is your favourite tree? What's been the most exciting tree that you've seen in your career? I think, uh, I mean, it changes. If you ask me this tomorrow, it'll be different, I'm sure. But I'm going to say the tulip tree, probably the Chinese tulip tree. Mainly because I've seen it growing in the collections at Kew, collected by Ernest Wilson, who an original Wilson collection, and it died. And then I was in China in 1996 and found one tree of that species, and it had good seed on it. We grew that seed and we planted nearly 30 trees at Kew in an avenue. And it is, it is a, a very beautiful tree, graceful, very rare in both gardens and the wild. But it's got great horticultural attributes as well, ornamental, you know, so good autumn colour, beautiful shape, lovely leaf and fruit, and it's quite well behaved as well. So I think today that that would be my favourite tree. And is that in your book? You've got a book that you've been talking about called Remarkable Trees. Is that one of the trees featured in your book? I don't think it is, actually. No, but it's definitely in Arboretum, my latest book. And I'm sure it'll be in my next book. (laughs) I look forward to seeing it. (laughs) Tony, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Claire. So, Steve, I have been 
cutting back my autumn raspberries. Yes. My autumn raspberries went crazy this year and I love the autumn raspberries and they have given me a gorgeous crop, but they also spread. They do. And I needed to get rid of them because actually I need to grow other things than autumn raspberries. So you came by to I did. I took, I took a bag full, didn't I? Yeah. Which are healed in over there. So you haven't actually planted them in it, you've just healed them in. I've just healed them in. I took them out of the bag, dug a big hole, put them in the ground, healed them in and then cut probably half the foliage off the top. They look all right. But are yeah. you going to leave them there like now for the winter? I'll, I'll leave them there until I'm ready to plant them. I also gave some of the raspberry canes away to other people in the local area. There's a brilliant Facebook page called Petersfield Veg and Plant Swap. And I saw your post on there actually. Did you? I thought I'd best not respond to that. It's a bit greedy. I've already had some. I've still got a few. <laughs> Message me if you'd like some autumn raspberry canes. There are a few still going. We've also got some news with regards to swapping. Steve, would you like to do the honours? Yeah, absolutely. Really excited to say that our seed swap's back on the 9th of March from 10 till 2 at Winton House in the middle of Petersfield. The first one was a great success and we're building on it. Some really interesting people coming along to talk about gardening. So come along, it'd be really good. We'll talk about it more a bit closer to the time. Yeah, we will. We'll have some information at the Tree Festival. So if you are coming along, we'll have a flyer there about it, but we'll keep you updated. Save the date, Saturday 9th of March. I love this time of year, Steve, and particularly this year, it's been quite late with the leaves turning on the trees. Mm. It still looks absolutely beautiful, but the winds that we've been having, it's not going to be much longer. No, it's not, is it? I think we've had a frost, that'll be the end of the leaves now, with this strong wind that we've got is picking up again now, isn't it? Well, there are a number of trees around here at the allotment, Steve. It's a big place, isn't it? it yeah, it's a big site. We've got a lot of trees from your know, ancient oaks, there's alder, to your fruit trees, We've got hazel in the hedgerow. And then, of course, we've got our Miyawaki forest. Now, that is nearly a year old. It's not far off. How many trees are planted there? I want to say 2,000. Definitely well over 1,000. All native. Hedgerow-type trees through to sweet chestnut. There's all sorts in there. And the purpose of planting the Miyawaki forest here? What was the reason it was planted here? Well, we, we had the space here. Hampshire County Council and the Tree Council were keen to start experimenting with some Miyawaki plantations. We had the, the want to do it. We had Phil, which <laughs> always helps, so it was done here. And Phil tends it and looks after it. Yeah, um, in conjunction with the Tree Council, um, over the course of this year we've had a number of corporate volunteer days that have been weeding it and remulching it and just maintaining it really, which has been brilliant. Interesting to watch it grow. It will. The next few years will be really interesting. I think it's probably settled down this year and grown a little bit but then over the next three, five years, it's going to shoot up. Well, another place that has a lot of trees is the private garden where head gardener Ben Pope works. And I met up with him again for the third instalment of the Working Garden Diary. It's mid-November. I'm once again joined by Ben Pope. Hello, Ben. Hello. Must be something with the days that you visit. The sun seems to shine because we've been really lucky. Every time you visited, it's been beaming sunny. It is about five o'clock in the evening. The clocks have changed, but there's a beautiful light here. It is a pretty special place and it's changed since I've last been here again. When I drove up, there's a huge pile on the driveway covered with a blue tarpaulin. <laughs> yes. What's in there, Ben? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a delivery of organic muck, so rotten stable manure all chopped up that we are going to be putting 
on the beds looking after the soil and thinking about the year but I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more but yeah it's it's a lovely time it seems to go quite still I think the air and you hear the birds chittering and chattering before they go to bed and at that dusk you know it's it's a magic really magic time when the clocks have come back and um, yeah I love being outside to witness that as the sun kind of goes down like this. Yeah we contemplated recording in one of the gorgeous Alatex greenhouses here but I think we'll hold off whilst we have this beautiful stillness here. It's Cole. calming isn't it? It hasn't always been like that obviously and, and you say the garden has changed we've had storms come through haven't we we've had the rain we've actually had frosts as well now so you know all those wintry processes are starting to kick in around the garden and we are definitely heading that way but there's still bits to enjoy and the autumn colours still about. It's proper proper autumn now isn't it and the colours are gorgeous. What else have you been doing here? So we started doing a lot of lifting and dividing. Some of our borders will leave till spring but because we have so many we have to do some now and so yeah we're going through some of the herbaceous perennials that have got a bit too thuggish. Some of the asters, the euphorbias have got quite big and quite large and they're crowding everything out. So we're just restoring a bit of balance back into the to the borders and into the planting. So we're lifting plants up, effectively chopping them up with a spade and then replanting smaller portions. And what that does is that encourages fresh new growth from the plant and from that you get a stronger, healthier, happier plant and more flowers. Yeah, and more plants. Yes, well, that's right. All, all, the, all the leftover bits. I mean, you can start propagating. You'd start your own nursery if you want. <laughs> As we came in, there is a beautiful display of grasses. You're going to keep, I imagine, throughout the autumn and the winter. Yes, yeah, that's a, um, a load of miscanthus, which is an ornamental grass. It originates from um, China and Japan and Asia. And there's a free cultivars in there. And some of them have got, at the moment, yeah, the most gorgeous autumn colour, haven't they? But they'll change to a buff of beigey, very nice looking beige colour, making it sound very bland. <laughs> but then the texture, you know, as well will look gorgeous and that'll stand all the way through winter. And so we won't cut those down till February. And that's one of the wondrous things about using a lot of ornamental grasses is that they're pretty much pest and disease free. They don't need staking or any support system like that. And then a lot of them will have these beautiful structures, autumn colour, and then persist all the way through winter. So they'll give you something for a long, long season. There was a time where ornamental grasses was not thought of as a, a spectacular garden plant to have. I thought you were going to mention the pampas of the 70s, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no, there's a lot more to grasses than that. Yeah. And fashions have definitely changed, haven't they? And people are really beginning to understand and familiarise themselves with them. And, they, and so they should. I mean, they're wonderful plants. They help provide textures and, and really show off other plants that sit alongside them. You have a large vegetable patch here as well. Have you been preparing the soil? Have you been planting anything in the vegetable patch? So as we're winding down from this growing season, we're actually starting the next. So broad beans sowing now, and also our autumn garlics and onions we've been putting in as well. And they're already poking up. But we are tidying stuff, the peas and whatever else have been left, the beans that have kind of climbed and finished now and been hit by the frost, so they'll be coming out. You can easily just cut them off at the base and leave the nodules in because they actually fix nitrogen, so they're very good. And then that big muck pile you mentioned <laughs> as you walk past on the way in, we'll be spreading that on the surface, so adopting a, a no-dig strategy there and covering any bare soil and adding some organic matter. So by next year, that would have started to rot down next spring, and so when we start to plant, new vegetables into there or sow into it that would be a really nice fertile tilth ready to go again the no dig gardening mm. style has been something that's becoming more and more popular i suppose how long have you been using a, the no dig method here only about four years five years I, I can be a bit of traditionalist i suppose and sometimes dig my heels in but i remember about 
15 years ago hearing about a gardener down in Dorset doing it and I just thought oh he's he's just got a bad back you know he's lazy <laughs> but actually there's a lot of science to it um, and also it does save your back you know because <laughs> you don't have to dig so much at all in fact but you do need a good supply of organic compost and, you, and you're layering that on each year feeding the soil that way and by not digging what you're doing is you're preserving life in the soil and that could be anything from invertebrates the predator beetles and things that will help keep your slugs down right through to the mycorrhizal the fungi relationships that help with the roots of plants as well and also help with all the nutrient uptake and everything else like that and there's a lot of science behind it now that backs it up and then there's people leading the way like Charles Dowding and other wonderful people as well are using this and and showcasing this style of gardening um, and vegetable growing to its best effect. And are you finding that it's working better here? Yes and no in places maybe we haven't got the right organic matter it's very much site specific isn't I mean, I think it can certainly work for everyone. You just have to tweak it. I still love to earth up my potatoes. I'm still, unfortunately, grabbing the spade and earthing up potatoes, and I will do. But actually, in the main, it's definitely helping. It's helping to feed back the soil, and it's helping, especially with keeping any weeds down, so we're saving a lot of time. So, yeah, there's definitely lots of pros, and we are still going with it. But I'm going to keep one bed back where we're going to put a light bit of compost on just to protect the surface to do a bit of direct sowing as well, because... Again, in no-dig gardening, you can do some direct sowing, but lots of stuff is grown in modules. So you grow little plants and then you plant little plant vegetables. Whereas I I do quite like to do a bit of direct sowing as well. And and I'm finding perhaps with the compost that we're using, with the tilth that we've got, actually a lighter soil in that respect is working better. Do you do a a crop rotation here as well? Yeah, so, so again, we used to because that was all part of our soil management. But with no dig, you're adding so much organic feed. Potentially, you you don't have to. But I found that certain things can build up. And actually, in terms of managing our pigeons on our cabbages and our brassicas and the cabbage whitefly, it's good to have all the brassicas together. Ideally, you want to be intercropping and mixing everything up. And if you've only got a small vegetable garden, I'm sure you could probably do that. But for us, growing all those things together has a beneficial effect in terms of netting or pest protection. So, so we kind of still have to stick to that. And so we are, again, going back a bit more to a crop rotation than I used to combining the two some old-fashioned ways with the new sort of modern no dig technique finding a way that works best to do exactly that exactly (laughs) that well it's getting a bit darker the temperature is dropping here just kind of comes down and you can you can literally feel the air sinking you garden throughout the year here so how do you keep warm in the winter layer up tug up it's important whether you're going out for 10 minutes or an hour or like me it's your profession and you're doing it day in day out to be warm you know I, I can't stand having wet feet I do pay a decent money for for good footwear that's going to keep me dry good socks to be comfortable always good to have layers up so so you know some thermals if you want or waterproof I mean waterproof trousers are a really good way of keeping warm there are specialist garden clothing companies that you can get rainproof showerproof gear and I'm of course I'm a bit thrifty so I, I tend to look in, in you know the spring or the summer for wet weather gear when they're selling it all off cheap so you can again maximize the money that you're going to spend get some really good quality stuff that's going to last and, and make sure you're comfortable because if you're not comfortable or warm you're, you know you're not going to be enjoying it.
So. And it's important to still get out in the garden if you can, even when it's chilly or, or even raining a little bit. Yeah, it definitely is. And again, raining is, is one of those things and you don't have to do much, but the colours that intensify when things are wet. And again, there's often this stillness with rain. But I think just even if you can go out and do a little bit, because this time of year, you look outside and you think, I just don't want to go out there. And, and then you leave it all until spring. And then suddenly you've got this mountain of stuff to do. Whereas actually find a day when the weather's not so bad and go out for 10 minutes with a cup of tea as well or a nice hot chocolate and just do a bit. It's amazing how much better you feel on a really wet rainy day is that a greenhouse day it can be yeah i mean last week when we had the rain coming in it was let's put our waterproofs on and clear the gutters and then maybe pressure wash the terrace and the the patios are all wet anyway jobs that aren't going to make a lot of mess really help but then if it gets absolutely torrential you can see the you know the old morale going a bit then you're like right come on let's get in for the afternoon and, and do some dry weather propagation pricking out potting on all the cuttings we did of the salvias and other tender perennials they've been potted on now so yeah it's about timing and prioritizing as gardening always is isn't it it's dealing with what the weather gives you and, and keeping those jobs back for when the weather's atrocious yeah because the uh, the greenhouses are looking lovely they are <laughs> certainly filling up and they'll be super full in spring another good job to do now is if the weather's bad and again thinking about next year going through all your old seeds thinking about what you might like to order that's a great little job to do perhaps at home with a slow gin or something like that to keep to keep you warm inside as well <laughs> that is a treat giving all my secrets away aren't i <laughs> it gives you something to look forward to doesn't it for, yeah. for the next year and it's a cathartic process so you kind of just feel okay it's in order so preparing for next year have you got anything growing in the greenhouse now for for next year already yes we do so sweet peas we do an autumn and a spring sowing of sweet peas. So the autumn sowing are up. They're about four or five centimetres at the moment tall. And we will tip those out because um, we don't want them getting too big. But we put them, I say, in an unheated greenhouse because we want to keep them cool and keep them tough as possible. But obviously watch out for the mice. If you haven't got that, then there's no reason why you can't grow sweet peas. Just wait for a spring sowing. As well as that, we've got young winter salads, we've got some young seedlings and fresh herbs. And then we're going to be starting off microgreens in pots as well as things like pea shoots just to give a bit of freshness that you can graze through the winter now we are surrounded by trees in this garden yes still make them out (laughs) in the the fading light there are some beautiful trees in this garden what do you do with the leaves so they're a huge resource leaf mold so make piles of leaf mold and it's the best stuff it feels nice it smells nice and it's wonderful you can use it for potting in compost or you can use it as a soil improver or as a mulch an organic mulch so the uses that come out of it are really really wonderful you just got to make sure you you, all you do is put leaves in so it's not like a normal compost and you certainly don't want any weeds or weed seed pods or anything like that in there because you want that stuff nice and clean especially if you're going to use it in terms of potting or propagation purposes and so how do you store the leaves then and how does it take them oh yeah so so it's, it's quite technical we basically just make like a corral so we've got some old logs in parts of the wood and we in fact just make a pile i mean if you've got a small space you might want to use some canes and chicken wire and i mean there are even bags available or things like that that you can use the trick is that it does need a bit of moisture it's very very slow 
So unlike composting, it's not gonna really, really heat up and it can take a while. I mean, oak leaves are one of the longest and they can take up to a year. It's a long process, but you're picking up your leaves anyway because they're all over the path. What do you do with them? Well, you could keep them yourself and make something good, but it's well worth it. Do you have to cover it at all then? Or just leave no, it? no, we just leave it open to the elements. Yep, and that's fine. And that's why chicken wire works quite well because you've got air and rain all around it. And in fact, you'll probably provide a home for various little mammals, mm. things like that as well, just to hibernate for the winter, which is always a good thing, isn't it? That's a great thing. Good idea. So, but we can just about see each other. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the catch-up. And it'll be December when we yes, see Yes, I know, I know. I look forward to catching up then. Cheers. Take care, Claire. We've mentioned about coming out, if you can, going out into the garden or to a green space this time of year through the winter to get that fresh air. Blow the cobwebs away as well. I find it makes a massive difference. If I'm feeling a bit housebound, I never come back wishing I hadn't done it. Absolutely. And there's all sorts to do, isn't it? You can potter, you can just go for a walk. Well, the Petersfield Physic Garden has recently opened up volunteer opportunities for people who'd like to come and do some gardening. Don't have to be an expert, just to go along and meet with the team on either a Tuesday or a Thursday morning. They're a passionate and very knowledgeable group of gardeners. So if you are interested, contact them on petersfield.physic.garden.general at gmail.com. Ben mentioned about making leaf mould, which I have made in the past, and actually I might try and do again this year, with so many leaves on the ground now. But you have quite a large composting area here. How does that work? Do you have a system here at the allotments for it? Honestly, Claire, it doesn't work. Not even in the slightest. Uh, it's dreadful. We are getting a digger guy in in the next sort of week to 10 days. Hopefully he's going to dig that out, turn it, have a look what's in it. There's, there's all sorts in it. There's bits of tree, there's perennial weeds, there's clay, there's flint. It's dreadful. Not really good compost. No. No. So that's something that's going to be um, worked on here at the allotment? Yeah, it is. It was a good idea in the thinking, as it were, but unfortunately, practical terms, it just hasn't worked for us. Too many people, too big a site, too much space to dump stuff. So it's on our list of things to talk about over the next few months. Hampshire County Council have got grants available for community composting projects, which we have bid for. We're hopefully getting a, a composting expert in to talk to us about what we can do. It's just about then running it as it should be, rather than people just putting rubbish on it. So we'll see. Watch this space. Can people have individual composting bins on their plots as well, or do you encourage it to be in a mass area? Well, we would like everyone to have composting areas on their own plots, but there was a need for a communal composting site. That's why we did it. But if you look behind you, Coxie, along with his 27,000 water butts, also has 16,000 composting bins. He's a man who likes to be organised. Oh, Coxie. We love him. <laughs> Well, Steve, it's getting a little bit breezy. The wind's picked up a it bit, has. hasn't it? The leaves are swirling around. Thanks so much for meeting me down here at no the Lotman again. No problem at all. It's been good to talk. Really good to see yeah. you. See you soon. Thank you very much for joining us too, and to our guests, Tony Kirkham and Ben Pope. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or you'd just like to say hi, you can email us on joinusandgrow at gmail.com. You can say hi and follow us too on Instagram. It's growingtogether underscore podcast. We'll be back in early December. Until then... Happy gardening. Growing Together is new twice a month and supported by DeMello and Company. Financial advice for you, your family and your future. Get the latest editions of Growing Together at any time at shineradio.uk.
Get ready for the big Christmas switch on with Shine Radio. It's Joff and Claire, live in the square, as the lights go on across the town. And it's all happening on Friday the 24th of November. Illuminating Claire. Joff Lacey and Claire Venice host the light switch on live in the square. We'll have live music, loads of fun. And the countdown to the moment the mayor throws the switch to light up Petersfield. Join Joff and Claire live in the square. See you on Friday the 24th of November. Petersfield's Shine Radio. Shine Radio.